many people have been asking me, how do I get my podcast up and running that quickly? Well, the secret is Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It can also help you to distribute a podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from a podcast too, with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. If you're interested, find out more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I have deep conversations with the people who are enabling organizations to become ready for the future of work. My guests include the mindfulness coach, the folks behind Singapore's most popular investment app, and many more. They all have one thing in common, and that is to help level up your organizations through your people. My guest today is the co-founder and CEO at Pulsify. He is passionate about helping people unleash their potential. Pulsify was founded to help organizations truly understand their people and make better people decisions using data, predictive analytics, and AI. Pulsify provides a people data platform to help organizations improve quality and efficiency in talent acquisition and talent management. Their approach is a combination of organizational psychology, data science, and machine learning. This is done by analyzing multi-dimensional data such as CVs, psychometric assessments, video interviews, and employee records to holistically understand each person across hard skills and soft traits and predict outcomes like performance, work behaviors, job fit, cultural fit with accuracy higher than 90%. Their clients include Nestle, Baxter, Heineken, Singtel, Yobi across Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines, and Thailand. Prior to Pulsify, he was Head of Strategy at Control Shift, an AI pioneer in people data for digital marketing and online advertising. He was also with the Boston Consulting Group and worked closely with organizations in addressing their biggest people challenges. Before that, he was a venture capitalist and a public servant. Please welcome Jay Huang. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for coming on to the show. For people who are not familiar with Pulsify, how will you describe it to them? Hi, morning, Adrian. Thanks for having me here. Pulsify, we're a people analytics company and we specialize in predictive analytics. And our key product actually is a people data platform. Let me use a cooking analogy to describe that, right? Because I, I really like cooking. So imagine if one day you have this cooking machine where all you need to do is throw ingredients in, right? So no more chopping and cutting, just throw them in. The machine recommends recipes based on the thousands in its library. It tells you what ingredients are missing to enhance the dish. It cooks for you. And based on how you like the food that came out, it can tweak the recipe for next time. So it turns out there is a machine that does some of this. But in the space of HR, Pulsify's data platform actually does all of it. So analogy for HR is the ingredients you throw in would be people data. Things like CVs, psychometric assessments, video interviews, employee records, HRS data, anything. So the platform analyzes all that data and predicts specific attitudes and behaviors of each candidate or employee at a company. Right. From there, analogous to job recipes, it would actually recommend job fit based on thousands in its library. It recommends how to develop each person to enhance the person. And then it can also tweak the recipe for next time based on actual outcomes like job performance. So this is how the machine learning kicks in as well to enable better analytics. Our platform is actually used for use cases across talent acquisition and talent management, dealing on things like graduate programs, hiring, 
high potential programs. We also focus on things like high potential, sorry, customer success, work agility, and crisis recovery. So the next most important question, what's the favorite dish that you like to cook? <laughs> I love to use the oven, actually, because it's quite minimal cleaning and then it provides really pretty good temperature distribution. So one thing I really like doing is uh, ribs because I think I can probably eat ribs every day. And I just did it yesterday also. <laughs> I think the secret to actually having good ribs is to cook them at low temperature for maybe two, three hours in the oven. I see. Okay, yeah. I'll take good note of that. Yeah. So uh, a bit of about yourself. What's your background and what motivated you to start Pulsify? Let's see. Yeah, so first of all, I got to say, I, I don't have that so-called HR experience, which I think some people tend to expect when we are in the HR space. Actually, right before this, I was in the space of online advertising and digital marketing. And that's actually where we use people data extensively to improve uh, the efficacy of serving ads to people. And that was actually the inspiration for what we do at Possify, which is using people data, using AI, right, to make better decisions for people. But in this case, not about consumer preferences, but more about what happens at the workplace. Prior to doing that, I was in management consulting at the Boston Consulting Group. That's when I realized that no matter how good your strategy is, whether it's sales or operations or procurement, it all boils down to the people. And companies, whether they're big or small, young or established, they all face the same problems. And this is what made me realize that actually, if we're able to help companies improve the way they make decisions about their people, it can really benefit any company in the world and it can also benefit so many people. Earlier on in my career, I was also in venture capital. I guess that's where I got bitten by this entrepreneur and startup bug. Yeah, but I guess funny thing is uh, no, no clever idea until almost 10 years later when I started Falsify. I started my career in public service at Enterprise Singapore, helping Singapore tech SMEs to grow their business overseas. And I mean, I got to be thankful. Without a government scholarship, I wouldn't have the chance to, to open my eyes to the world. So I, I guess all these things in my career really ended up contributing important parts to how I decided to start Falsify with my co-founder three years ago whereby we brought different things to the table to, to make things happen. And I got to say, being an entrepreneur is probably one of the best decisions I've made in my life. And I really can't imagine doing anything else. I 100% agree. That is also something I share with people having done my own businesses before. Although I'm still on that 10-year journey of yours trying to figure out what's the next idea for me to consider. Mm -hmm. But back to Pulsify, there are quite a number of platforms out in the market, especially in... I would say the assessment space, trying to make prediction about how suitable people are. Mm -hmm. From uh, the recruitment aspect, you have, of course, parsing tools, you have matching algorithms. At talent management level, you also have a lot of other attributes coming together. How would Pulsify differ from many of the other companies out in the market, in your personal opinion? Yeah. So in terms of approach, we are taking something that is quite unique in the sense that what we do is we understand people holistically. And by holistically, we mean we look at hard skills, soft traits, and other, other information all at the same time. So this other information could be, you know, what a person did in school, how far they live from the office. But we believe that actually looking all of this in totality is what helps us really understand people. And compared to many providers in the market, they tend to focus on usually just one side of the equation, right? So for example, CV passes look at the CV, but they don't look at anything else. And then a lot of uh, psychometric assessment providers focus only on the soft traits. Um, but for us, we believe the big picture is important. 
because the reality is every single component of us uh, contributes to how we turn out at work, right? In terms of performance, in terms of uh, commitment and things like that. I think the other difference is that we actually offer a data platform, uh, not just assessments, meaning we are agnostic to be able to onboard any kind of people data to improve the predictive models. That means including using data from uh, providers that are not us, right? And that's usually common because you walk into any company out there, you can't expect them to only use one provider for all their assessments or all their uh, people data. It's going to be different. Um, but what we're able to do is actually take all those different sources of data, um, map it down to our framework and use everything in the same model. Um, that's beneficial because if we didn't do that, I think the humans with the HR, the hiring managers, they have to do that. And number one is tedious. Number two is very unscalable if you try and do it for, you know, 100 people or 1,000 people. The third thing would be we are actually able to offer a very customized solution for each use case without the client needing to go through customization. And that's because we have mapped out tens of thousands of uh, models and jobs already in our database. So sometimes it just takes a little tweak and then the, the clients have a great solution. And it's much better than just using whatever's off the shelf. So for your solution, are there any specific industries or sectors or company sizes that would be much more suitable to try out Pulsify? Yes, we, because ours is a data business, generally if there's a higher volume of people data, the models would be better. So that lends itself to, for example, roles whereby the candidates come in high volume. Right. So whether or not you've got hundreds or thousands of people who apply for jobs, or it could be companies with, you know, hundreds or thousands of employees. So usually it's that segment of companies. The kind of industries we focus on tend to be those that also are embracing a lot of uh, digital tech and data in their core business. So it could be companies like consumer goods, um, pharma, telco, financial services, professional services. And then the kind of roles we focus on tend to be professional white-collar roles because I think for some roles out there, you might not need to go so much into data in order to achieve what you need to. So we focus on roles that are very much more complex, such as those dealing with leadership, with management, with client-facing activities. Let's see. So it's also pretty much location agnostic and it caters quite over a quite wide breadth of different positions. Are there any interesting edge cases of your product since you started? <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that we like to help tell people now and then is that we actually help in the selection of cabin crew for airlines, right? And then people will be like, what? How do you even... And then, okay, actually we explained that we focus more on the, the non-physical aspect. So not how they look, how tall they are, but really on uh, their ability to do, you know, customer service, uh, reacting and all that. So... We actually have been able to achieve really good results to help airline clients with the selection of cabin crew, looking at actually the, the people who are sort of beneath the hood, you know, and underneath the skin, right? Yeah, just that, of course, recently the airline industry hasn't been so exciting. So we look forward to do more of that in the future. Cases, I think uh, we also do some support of organizations whereby we feel our product can make a difference. And one of that is the... Asian University of Women. So it's sort of our, we do some pro bono work with them. And the story there is that it's a university that's based in, in Bangladesh and it's meant to provide education to a lot of women in, in less privileged uh, families. 
So, you know, without education, a lot of them end up working in government factories. That's why the university was set up to help them to really have a second, more options for their career. And the, the university also actually has this mentorship program whereby they actually attach mentors who are mostly women um, in you know, professional roles all across the world to actually guide these uh, young girls on how they can pursue their careers. So what we came in to provide actually is a platform to help these people understand, for example, their personalities, their interests, their culture, preferences, uh, what kind of roles, what kind of organizations are better suited for them um, in the longer run. It's interesting that you mentioned it because my next question would be related to diversity. In the, in the course of trying to better assess certain candidates, I've seen companies using a lot of different methods and ways to try to improve the diversity of the organization. But having said that, of course, it, it also leads to some companies uh, having a sense that it may go into a certain group think. Uh, I'm not sure if you came across this report whereby Amazon actually scraped one of their algorithms mm-hmm. because it resulted in uh, the, the algorithm basically become racist. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to get your view on this and how should companies who are new to DNI, diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion, really approach their DNI in the right way? Mm, yeah, so I think DNI is is definitely a hot topic nowadays from a from a gender perspective, from an ethnic background perspective. And sometimes not 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 positively, right? Especially if uh, yeah, what's going in Singapore post the election, for example. I think a lot of companies approach it from uh, let's say from gender perspective. A lot of common themes would be, you know, uh, stronger female representation in, in certain kind of roles, senior leadership that hasn't been the case. Some companies are also making a very active effort to to increase the the ethnic composition of their people. Although on the flip side, there are also many companies, you know, due to government mandate or whatever, need to favor certain ethnic uh, groups, right? So, so my view is actually all these are a good step forward, but actually they are still not a very good way of looking at diversity. In fact, it itself is some form of bias. And I think the problem here is we're looking at superficial traits as a form of diversity, when actually the diversity we're looking for is not that. So, so what I feel is, for example, when organizations want to look for more female representation, it could be really they want to bring female uh, representation in because they associate certain qualities with you know, female colleagues. So it could be you know, they are more emotionally sensitive or they, they could be more nurturing. So that definitely could be a different uh, perspective from the people who are currently in that role. So it, it could improve the diversity in terms of the traits. But if you ask me what they're looking for, then would be those traits, right? Nurturing rather than looking for females. So my view is for a company that's uh, wanting to embark on this uh, DNI initiative, I think the important thing to do is to actually figure out what are the important traits that we really need for this role, for this team, or for this organization to really uh, succeed, right? And then we want to figure out how to achieve diversity on everything else. Uh, it's definitely going to be hard to do because I think most people don't even know what traits are needed for people to be successful, right? So example, if you ask any sales manager what qualities make a salesperson succeed, they'll tell you things like, you know, we need people who, who talk a lot, who are energetic because they, they can make uh, customers <laughs> buy stuff, right? But actually a lot of research has shown that it's not that that makes salespeople good. It's actually their ability to exude a kind of warmth 
um, so that the customers can trust them, right? So then the question is, if we want to have this kind of uh, personal warmth, where do we find that? So it's not really about, is it male or female, is it young or old, but really on an individual basis, who are the people that actually that kind of warmth or who are able to do that, that clients can actually trust them more, right? So, so my view is that diversity and, and inclusion really should go down into that kind of trade level, which is things like personality. It could even be things like what people value at the workplace. They've got different cultures. It could also be down to the kind of uh, work interest people have, right? In the sense that some people are more conventional. They like to stick to rules. Some people are those who like to try new things all the time. Some of those people are very investigative. Some people are a lot more influential when it comes to people. So whenever the organization has realized that which of these traits are really important, I think for the other traits that are not so important, they can afford to be diverse on those. I think one last thing to say about diversity is actually, the irony is that for, for some roles, you actually don't want diversity, right? I think research has shown that diversity helps when it comes to creating new things, right? So like ideation, new business. But if you want to do something existing and just keep doing it repetitively, actually, you don't want diversity, right? You want everybody to just uh, do it as uniform as possible, as consistent as possible. So I think that one's also worth bearing in mind. That's interesting to note. So it's somewhat like the military that you and I have gone through where everyone <laughs> is expected to be churned out the same way. And, and on what you mentioned about hiring the right salespeople, I actually have uh, met up with a sales director before and he told me he's, he has a very simple barometer in hiring a salesperson and that is based on his or her address. So if the person is staying in a private development, that person is out because not hungry mm, enough. Mm. Of course, a lot of all these buyers are rampant in right. the space, which is why I do think uh, something much more solid and evidence-based is very crucial, which I guess is what the Singapore government is also trying to lead into with the skills framework. But having said that, the skills framework, as the name implies, is very much heavy on skills itself. Mm -hmm. As much as it may be important, it doesn't really paint the holistic picture that you're trying to do. What is your personal view on this initiative right now? And does it really play a big or major part in what your system is trying to match in a holistic manner? I mean, it's definitely a, a good start, right? Because if um, the people we're talking about here come from a really low base whereby, for example, it's difficult for them to, to find employment or it's difficult for them to move up, right? Then I think skills is one place to definitely start. But it actually is also a very small piece of everything else that employers look for, right? So skills alone without experience is, is also not very useful. And I think I speak about this from, from our personal experience whereby, you know, there are people who let's say they don't have much uh, training in, in, let's say, programming, right? Uh, but they go to some courses. And then when you actually get these people to do real work, you, you find that they just lack the experience to be able to do something that is good enough. So the, the reality is skills are important, but with it, you need to get people experience opportunities. And I think that's why the, the traineeships that the government is launching, Singapore government is launching, for example, promoting employers to really take these people who are, who are less experienced to be able to give them chances to, to, to hone their skills. So I think that's definitely very, very important because skills alone not enough. But that said, aside from those two, those are more what I call the hard skills. I think there are a lot of soft traits about people that are very important as well. Um, for example, you mentioned <laughs> hunger just earlier, right? So that's a reflection of some things, which is you know, what, do pe what uh, motivates these people to succeed. So some people are motivated by um, rewards, right? They want to be recognized. 
some people are, are motivated by mastery. They just want to be able to show that they can, they want to show themselves, right? They can then be experts at their craft. So there are various other personality traits, like for example, how open are people to new experiences? How conscientious are they in doing their things? You know, how emotionally stable they are to, to react to various kinds of situations. So all these are also actually very important qualities that employers need to look for. All of these would ultimately contribute to things like leadership, team playing, communication, resilience, adaptability. They're all very important as well. But they are harder to, to improve at scale, right? Because the reality is, because each of us are so different, for us to improve in these things are also different. So what we do to help that is actually, if we understand each person really well on our platform by collecting all the data about them, we can come up with a really personalized L&D steps and content. Right. So I think it would be good if you know, government level projects can also move in that direction, whereby a lot of that training can be more personalized uh, rather than, let's say, everybody encourage you to go for data analytics courses. I think the importance is to, to personalize on that. Yeah. So on the flip side, then also you want organizations to, to start to appreciate that, which is beyond looking at skills and experience, you want to understand what the other softwares are important for people to, to succeed in the job. Because part of it is, yes, the skills uh, get the person into the job, but what keeps the person there? What keeps the person contributing, right? And the person needs to, for example, like what they're doing, right? Uh, because actually many people are good at doing something, but they don't like it. The person also needs to fit the culture of the organization, right? They need to, to be aligned with the, the vision of the company. So these are also other soft traits um, that employers need to look into for that equation to really work. Because I think for a long time, we know that HR people are definitely the biggest problem that any company can face, right? Whether it comes to being difficult to hire, difficult to retain, difficult to develop. But on the flip side, also the, the reality is that not many people love what they do at work, right? And while it's totally understandable that some people need to work in order to just pay the bills, it'd be nicer if you can actually find roles that these people can do and actually like so that then they can be you know better performers better employees and that way the company benefits as well then you know the equation becomes nicer and i guess it doesn't help that hr professional as seen in a recent straw poll survey is being measured as being non-essential oh, yeah. uh, one of the top five non-essential professional does your solution or platform help them to well, level up and change that perception in the general viewpoint of audiences? I would say yes. And I think that's a, a very important part of our mission because a platform alone wouldn't do any good without champions. And we really want to find that champion within the organization to together help to take each organization, each company that we work with to the next level. So coming back to what you said about the, the bashing, I think we, we cannot deny that HR function as a whole usually is not the most well-loved in the organization because they don't contribute directly to the top line in that sense, right? They don't do sexy stuff like marketing and PR to make the company look good. But I think with COVID coming, the HR function is really thrown into the spotlight Yes, it includes some bashing, but the reality is for many companies, it was the HR function that helped people to adjust to the work-from-home environment, right? to provide a kind of communication and engagement that is now needed in more virtual environment. 
and of course ensuring the safety of everybody right to make sure that i know the the risk of uh, catching the virus is, is lower so i think with this also comes the chance for hr to do a lot more than just that which is in the past a lot of it was focused on administration you know payroll just run arranging interviews picking candidates but i think going forward hr can really make a big difference because you know, we already know that uh, people are the most important asset of the company. And actually, that's the entire play of HR. So can they actually help the company to bring out the full potential of their people such that the company then can also become successful? Because, I mean, we believe great companies are made by only great people. And really, HR has a big role to do that, right? So how, how can that be done given that you know, they may not have changed how they do things for how they did things for the past five, 10 years? I think the answer lies in hands uh, something which we're working on data, um, which yes, in the past was difficult to deal with because many systems were not cloud-based, many systems were not uh, scalable, analytics was very nascent. But now all that is really easy to use, it's affordable as well, and data can make a big difference, right? To be able to provide each employee a more personalized experience in terms of not just career paths, right, but also engaging them. For example, you find that some people work from home better than others, right? Some people are more connected than others. So how do you actually personalize the experience for them? And also because the the work environment, uh, business environment and, and roles, they are they keep changing even faster and faster nowadays. So L and D itself also needs to be a continuous effort, which is uh, again, down to the personalization because you know different people will need different kind of training. And in order to get to the kind of level of um, personalization scalably, then that's where data and technology comes in. And with the kind of tools, HR actually can do a lot more than what it did before, which is don't just do the same policy for everybody, but can they actually ensure that everybody gets the right treatment they, they deserve. I mean, this brings to me to point another, another term that you use for this, which is talent management, right? whole idea is how do we manage the talent in our organization. But the, the funny thing is they call it talent management because they only manage talent. Then how about the people who are deemed non-talent, right? Isn't that kind of strange? So I think with platforms, we can actually make sure that everybody gets the attention that they deserve because the kind of effort that HR needs to put in goes a lot more into the insights and decision-making than the administrative parts of you know dealing with paperwork, dealing with process. I do agree that the data play a big part in trying to level up HR professionals. And in fact, I heard a story from CHRO before uh, during board meetings, at least many years back, when the CFO comes into a board meeting, he'll be presenting the PL, salesperson, of course, all the sales sheet, sales report. But the CHRO basically will be the one taking attendance because there's no data for, her or him to present to begin with. So I think the data play definitely plays a huge part in trying to level up. And of course, uh, educating people to embrace the data would be key as a as a first step for them to move forward. Actually, Adrian, to, sorry to cut yeah. you. Actually, to, to jump onto that, definitely true. Which is, I think it is time that the senior HR leaders get a seat at the table, the table of the the most senior leadership of the company, and it's not like they need to sit at the back. And I think one thing that maybe not many people know is there are many CEOs of big companies who go through HR stints right before they become ceo and actually that goes to show how how important that function is it's just like how the uh, 
you know, Prime Minister of Singapore always goes through a, a finance or, or trade portfolio, right? It's actually a very important function. But I think the, the senior leaders who are in that position, those who choose to, to take that opportunity to really get to the next level, they can, right? And for, for those who, who choose to do what they want to do, then I think they will basically, yeah, <laughs> face, face the decline. Yeah, that I, I truly agree with that. The thing, I guess, is there's not much understanding of people who have been rotated among different functions before landing into HR. Yeah. Most people would have been career HR for the longest time, mm-hmm. with exception. I mean, if you were to ask me off the top of my head, I could only recall the current guy at OCBC where he was in the retail or investment banking side before mm. going to HR. Mm. So definitely a lot more education and awareness in that space would be helpful to help people understand how important HR is. Mm-hmm. Back to your business journey, what has been the key turning point for you to help you understand that, yes, I'm on the right track? We, we started our company in 2016, early 2017. Um, and I think we, I mean, we had great ideas back then, which actually aren't too different from today, right? The, the funny thing is, but I think we spent a long time trying to figure out how to build a product such that clients will love them, love it. And we actually took many months of uh, figuring that out without really getting anywhere. So definitely the, the first big turning point was when our first real client came on to pay decent money for what we could do. And that was Nestle. They provided us the kind of confidence and validation that the kind of vision we had was something they could see and something they could actually trust us to deliver on, right? So, of course, we, we did every possible episode thing we possibly could to, to, to deliver that for them. And I think we did a pretty good job because three years later, they're still one of our big clients. But that's definitely a big turning point for us because without that, I don't think we'd have been able to figure out that that product market fit, right, to, to get to where we are today. I want to go to more detail on that. So I think a long time ago, we already had a vision that different kinds, because organizations deal with various people data and they're all fragmented in silos and disjointed and a lot of manual effort is needed to put them together and to even analyze them if you want to. So we wanted to provide that platform to host everything such that you can have great predictive models. But that alone wasn't a strong enough use case because companies realize, okay, so I got all this data, I got this model, what I do. So I think the realizations when we started working in Nestle was to actually cater that to specific use cases. So let's say it's hiring for a graduate program. Then how do we use our models to help them to understand based on their past graduate hires, for example, what are the kind of traits that cause people to succeed at Nestle? And from there, how do we um, select people with those kind of traits among, let's say, the hundreds of thousands of people who apply efficiently and well? Because compared to doing it manually, doing it with data should be a lot more, better, a lot faster and uh, more consistent. So that made us realize that actually that use case was really important to to make it more tangible for clients. And from there, hence, we've expanded to other use cases, like I mentioned, right? Dealing with uh, high potential programs, dealing with uh, salespeople. But I think a bit of irony is more recently, we've heard some clients started to appreciate the idea of having a data platform 
because nowadays more companies are embarking on their own analytics in terms of uh, harnessing the value of their own data. And then that's when they start to realize that actually we do need a platform uh, to, to empower that. So actually that turn has also led to a kind of a journey for us that kind of brought us back to where we were. <laughs> so that's definitely a very important milestone for us. And recently, the pandemic happened. Has that affected your business in any way? I think definitely. And it was definitely a very trying time. So we, we were actually close to raising uh, a round of funding in, in Q1, right? And for us, the external funding is important because we always invest a lot in, in product development and business expansion, right, in order to produce something that's even better for our clients and for us to grow even faster. So, so when that, uh, the deal fell apart in, in Q1 for us, so the, the investors pulled out due to various reasons, uh, many of which were related to, to COVID-19. So we really had to re-strategize. And it was difficult because during, this, during that time, I mean, how many investors were still keen to invest in new opportunities when probably half of their existing investments were struggling, right? For example, travel companies or, or things like that, or even F&B companies. In Q2, then another thing added on to that trouble, which is business practically paused, right? Business in the sense of uh, new sales opportunities paused. Existing ones are still ongoing, but new ones paused. And I think totally can understand why, because many companies were now trying to figure out how to work uh, effectively from home. Nobody has any benefit to look at buying anything new. Right, so those factors really made cash flow a huge crunch for us. Got really, really tight. And as much as we, I, I tried the longest to not to to protect our team. In the end, we needed to to adopt some measures to to manage salaries across the board, right? And very, very sad I had to do it. But at the same time, there were some employees who came to tell me that you know. Some of them offered to to take bigger pay cuts. Some of them said they're okay to to work for free. And I think that's when I realized also that all the time they spent building a team really came to the day whereby we had so much trust and confidence from team members that we really would take care of them. It's just that time was bad. So we couldn't. So I'm really thankful for their support. So yeah, we, we had to re-strategize everything. So very fortunately, uh, a couple of months back, we managed to close a fundraise. And then if you look back, actually, that was probably achieving the impossible because we did it in a really short time. <laughs> and we managed to, to raise more than what we wanted to. So that was really good. And yeah, as you know, also then from say July or so onwards, the economy started to move more. So clients started to resume the initiatives. Uh, some clients started to buy things. You know, some companies are also hiring. So that's when all the, the business started coming back as well. It was very intense, I think, this period. But we learned a lot in terms of, yes, being a startup is tough, but then this is definitely a big test. But I think all the more, it made us closer to our team. It also made us closer to our clients because with this exercise, they also started to realize what's really important. And one of the very big thing is really engaging and supporting the existing employee base. Because I think prior to COVID-19, many companies were just all hot and heavy on hiring, right? Because market was exuberant. 
But in tough times, you start to realize that it's ex- there are existing employees that actually made a difference for them. So they started to embark on a lot of initiatives related to that. And because of that, we also accelerated our product development into that employee management space. So looking back, it was a trying period, but then we came out of it pretty well. Yeah, so that's definitely one <laughs> uh, very, very big story that happened during this time. I think that would be a hallmark to a, a founder success where your team member during crunch time would tell you, I'm okay to take a bigger pay cut. Uh, that really signal a lot. <laughs> and I, I, I personally would feel that if given the same situation, that would be the proudest moment that I have. Yes. So what's next for Pulsify as we look forward into the end of 2020 and going into 2021? Yeah. We, like, like I mentioned, we have, we, in the past, we, we did a lot of talent acquisition, external talent acquisition. And I think in the past few months, we move a lot more into you know, internal talent acquisition and various talent management use cases. So we see a lot of the next six, nine months focusing on enhancing that part of our platform to really serve our clients on a more end-to-end kind of basis, which is a you know, whole employee life cycle of hiring somebody and helping the person to continue developing and succeeding in the organization. From a geographical perspective, we are looking to expand our footprint. So right now we are across six countries in Southeast Asia and we want to deepen our presence in markets like Indonesia and Philippines. And we also want to start moving further abroad. So looking at markets in Europe and Australia, for example. We are doing it with a combination of our own efforts and partners. And because if you remember, Adrian, I think at the start, the, the vision really was to to make this a global impact by helping, helping helping as many companies as possible across the world. So this really aligned with the with our vision of how to get there. But yeah, coming back to your, your earlier point about the proud moment, I got to admit that when I first started Pulsify, the the big goal was to build a strong business, right? Build a, a big company. But during that process, I started to realize the thing that gives me the greatest satisfaction and motivation actually is seeing my team members grow and succeed and contribute significantly to the company. So, I mean, yeah, th- that's definitely the, the sweet part of the experience. And are you currently hiring? Yes, we are. We are. We are looking at some various kinds of roles. So we're looking at people to join our research team. So, for example, organizational psychologists. We're also looking to strengthen our product development team. We're looking for product managers um, and, and uh, software engineers. And also in, for business development, we're looking for uh, sales and marketing roles. I just want to go back to the talent acquisition portion. Would your solution be appropriate for recruitment agencies? Actually, the answer is yes. And we are in conversation with some of them. Yeah, it's just that somehow we have uh, sold a lot more into the, the companies themselves. Yeah, but with recruitment agencies, that, that's a possibility. And even with uh, some uh, job boards, that's also a possibility. So yeah, conversations are ongoing and maybe something will happen soon. Interesting. Good to know that. So for people who's keen to find out more, where can they go to? There'll be a website. Uh, just Google Pulsify, P-U-L-S-I-F-I. And also you can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to have a conversation offline. 
Thank you so much. All these links will be placed into the show notes. And Jay, it has been a lovely conversation. I hope you enjoy it so far. And thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you very much, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this podcast and the episodes out to more people who may find it useful. I will see you in the next episode of The Adrian Tan Show.